the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm Ben James. I'm joined by Matthew Southcombe and Simon Thomas. Hello, hello. Hello. Lovely. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to do a, um, a sort of special podcast today. It's going to be just read listeners, readers. Readers List- and listeners, I guess. Readers and Not listeners. the media, isn't it? Consumers. 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 There you go. Their questions. So, um, you know, you're setting the agenda, so hopefully you'll enjoy listening to this. So um, let's crack straight on. Let's get into the questions. So uh, the first one comes from Gareth Guildford, uh, and he asked, do you think there's too much emphasis has been put on winning due to the opposition and points table rather than team development to the World Cup? We haven't seen a large, there's a large, large number of players in the squad we haven't seen play, Reese Patchell, Scott Williams, Owen Lanes. Is he on about, I assume, in, in the, in the warm-up the warm warm yeah. games? Well, I mean, Gatland set his stall out very early uh, in, in the sort of the the warm up process and said that he would treat the first two games like like he's going to treat the first two games of the World Cup because the the six day turnaround was the same so uh, Wales's week after that first England game was like a two days off job and then into training uh, on the Wednesday uh, a bit of a shorter training week because of the um, because of the way the fixtures fell so it's it was good sort of a, a nice dry run for them. Uh, ahead of what they'll face between Georgia and Australia in the first two games of the pool stage so uh, as I said on this podcast previously that tactic kind of surprised me a little bit because I sort of expected him to perhaps go strong in one game and experiment in the second game you know we've lost Gareth Anscombe but I I don't really think you know I don't think team selection has much to do with that they played it one game and, and they picked up an injury you know you could they had to play him at some point, so I don't. I don't think they can be criticised for for that. And you know they didn't lose anyone in the in the second game. So, in terms of the risk associated with it, then you know, given the way modern day Test rugby is, they they kind of you know that's not a bad return in terms of injuries these days. Um, and yeah, they you know you talk about placing too much emphasis on the result, but I think it was just more about preparation for for the World Cup really. And I think Simon, I know you got some views on like. Perhaps the the way that the substitutions worked on Saturday spoke more to that than anything else. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think you know winning is the absolute priority in terms of these warm up games. It, they're warm up games, aren't they? They're they're designed to get the team, you know, playing warm. warm. <laughs> <laughs> less cold, less rusty, certainly. But I think there was an element in the second game against England, given that the first one had been disappointing in terms of the performance and had been a reasonably Heavy defeat, you know, thirty-three nineteen, I think, wasn't it? You know, mm-hmm. I think when it went into that last twenty minutes, and there was an opportunity to probably bring people off, rest people. Uh, I think there was a desire to win that game and to get that winning momentum back on track. I don't think it's particularly, for example, to sort of say, "Oh, we'll be number one in the world if we win." No. But I think for the for the camp, having become so used to winning or forgotten how to win, as Gatland said, forgotten how to lose. Yeah, forgotten how to lose. Sorry, I, I think. Um, I think it was it was important to get the victory, and he, that you got that impression that that was a bit of a priority come the end of it. Now the focus and the interest for me is what happens with the third game against Ireland and exactly what mix and match means and um, what formula you'll go for because you know in terms of the World Cup squad for those who are on the fringe this is the last opportunity mm. and the fact that we haven't seen really many fringe figures so far. Even if, even like in cameos off the bench, it does suggest to me that in his head, Gatland has this 31-man squad pretty much nailed on with maybe yeah. just one or two issues to be resolved. Uh, just just a final point on that one before we move on is that 
all the players have been made well aware of this from from day one. Uh, they've been very open with the squad, and everybody knows where they stand. So the likes of Owen Lane and you know Jared Evans, you know the Ansgar injury probably changed the plans with with Jared. Those sorts of players, Reese Carey, you know those guys, they will all have known weeks ago that they weren't going to see any action until this Island game. So I mean, in terms of their where their heads are at, I think everybody, I think they will have been preparing for this anyway. So I mean, it's not like they've been sat there waiting for their chance. They they know when it's coming. They've known for a while when it's coming. So you know, it's, it, they they've been well aware of how this is was going to work. If you were Reese Carey, Owen Lane, Jared Evans, and you were told a year ago you'll get one game mm. to stake a claim for the World Cup. You'd have bitten their hands off, you? let's be honest. Yeah, they, yeah. they would have taken that, you know. Yeah. All three of them were encapped at the time. Yeah, um, yeah. the makeup of that side is going to be interesting. I, and I think the fact that we hear that we're on Gotten and it's kind of discussed where the game lies with Joe Schmidt in terms of perhaps they're going to do approach it in a similar way. You know, it'd be quite funny if they did that and the island changed their team at the last uh, yeah. minute. <laughs> but no, this is a, this is a fascinating one yeah. for me. Um, our colleague Andy Howell has put his, um, his uh, soothsayer's hat on and he's tried to come up with a, a likely team. And it, it could be quite a few different things, really. I mean, yeah. But you would expect, there are certain players you would expect now to be in cotton wool for a little while. Dan Bigger is obviously one. Alan Wynne-Jones, if you look at other positions, like there's quite a few people who've started two games. Nicky Smith, Started two games. Ken's Ken, Ken Owens yeah. has started two games. Um, John Davis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean Moriarty started two games and having lost Falatao, you know, you'd think that maybe he's going to get a break. I mean, we'll come onto the back row conundrum in a little bit, I'm sure. But um, yeah, you can see where we're heading for that island game now. Well, we touched upon it there, but uh, I think we do have a question uh, on the WhatsApp uh, voice messages, so we'll, we'll play that one for you now. Hi, my name's Carwin, and I'm currently in France, but um, living in Dublin. I was wondering if you can tell me the, uh, what your thoughts are on the the next t- uh, Welsh team um, for the first Island game. Cheers. Okay, so that was Carwin's question. We've we've touched upon it briefly, but I, I think we probably let's go a step further. Let's let's try name that fifteen. Okay. Well, first of all, we've got another holiday maker sending in questions on the podcast. We had one guy in Spain last week, didn't we? We did. We got France this week. We're obviously doing something right. Um, these guys taking us on holiday with them. Well, he sounds like a Welshman who uh, lives in Dublin and is currently in France. So he's certainly covering all bets for the World Cup. Isn't covering he? all bases. Could have some inside information. There you go. You go. With, you do the backs, then I'll do the all right, forwards. Backs, um, fullback. Uh, ooh, it's an interesting one, Tough isn't it? Fullback's an interesting one. I, I just, I'd probably say half penny, uh, just because the guy needs more minutes at test level. Wasn't expecting to get them last weekend. Obviously, story is is well known now how he got that call up, which is pretty remarkable. But um, yeah, he probably needs a few more minutes there. Mind you, Warren Gatlin said last week that um, on the Thursday press conference that Halfpenny may not even play in this game. Obviously, it was a bit of an issue last week that he wasn't named in the 23 yep. for the second England game. So, perhaps that's not in his plans. And um, Hallam Amos can play there. Uh, and we've talked about Rhys Patchell as well, perhaps being an option there. If if they're going to take three fly-offs and Rhys Patchell is a man who covers, only take four back three players. And that's a tricky one, full-back, isn't it? 
He's still on the first position. I know, there, yeah, so. I think I'm hoping it'll <laughs> get on the clock yet. Come on, I'm hoping it'll get easier from this point. I mean, Halfpenny. Could you potentially play Hal Amos in this one at fullback and then give Halfpenny the run out in Dublin? Possibly. And the only reason I'm doubting myself on Halfpenny is just because Gatlin suggested he wasn't in his plans for this game last week. Yeah. So, all right, yeah, let's go with that then. Let's go with Amos at fullback. He played well there in Argentina, and I think um, I think they'd be keen to see that. Owen Lane is going to be on one wing, um, based on what they've said, and you know, Steph Evans is he going to get a run out on the other? Or wing? do they feel now that they wanted to give Liam two games, and now they give him a second game in this match? He's got now. Well, yeah, possibly. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Liam miss this one. But I, I mean, if you throw in too many players who are fringe players, then it could go pear shaped quite quickly, couldn't it? As so it did last time. They're going to need some sort of um, continuity in there. Um, so maybe he does run Liam out but I I would be surprised to be honest I, I'd expect him to be one of those who's held back a little bit now and perhaps given a run out in the final game so I mean what's the point in having Steph Evans in the squad if he's not going to get a run would be my my first thought on that um, moving into the centres Scott Williams knowing what again two experienced blokes and, and have both got you know significant amount of quality We've talked about them at length on this podcast in the weeks gone by. And, um, you know, that's an interesting sort of little battle there for the third centre spot, isn't it? Um, to see how that one goes. But I'd expect those two to start there. Fly half. I'd probably say he'd start with Reese Patchell. Um, I, don't, I don't see him starting with Jared Evans. But, you know... He's privy to information that we're not. Um, perhaps there's something going on with Patchell. Perhaps they don't feel like he's quite there yet. Um, obviously finished last season quite low on confidence. So whether they feel like they can throw him in from the start or not, I just don't think I don't think they'll feel comfortable starting with Jared Evans yet. Um, so I'd assume like for a bit of you know, a bit of experience as well. Uh, I think Patchell would probably be a smoother transition in there. Um and then Thomas Williams' injury situation sort of dictates what they do at scrum half, doesn't it? You know, we've got the impression that, you know, if he, if it was serious, he would have already been ruled out. So let's assume it's not that serious. Um, but I'd probably suggest Alan Davis would start at scrum half. Have they got any time left? <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy, is it? Not easy being a selector. I'll try and make it a bit briefer. Uh, front row, I think Elliot G starts at hooker. The pack is going to be dictated to, <coughs> excuse me, by, by injuries. If you look at it, we haven't seen um, Rob Evans yet. He's had a bit of a, um, <coughs> a bit of a neck shoulder irritation. Um, unclear really when we're going to see him return to action. I think if he, he's fit, you'd, you'd expect maybe him to get a start. And then you've got Reese Carrier, Win Jones. So they've got options there. Lou said. I mean, again, and on the tight head also. Injury has an impact on this because we haven't seen Samson Lee yet. You know, he's at his own issue. So, and the second row, Corey Hill. We haven't seen him since the Grand Slam game against England. So, very much the pack I would suggest is going to be dictated to by who's available. And there are certain players who are at that point where if they are fit, they need to get a game. But obviously, we don't know exactly without having privy to the full medical situation where things stand. Um, Adam Beer was another one who sat out the most recent game, a bit of an injury issue. So he, you'd hope he'd come through. So I think if everyone's fit, you'd probably think that it would be time to go with Rob Evans, Thompson Lee, Elliot D, Adam Beard, and Corey Hill. 
potentially because these are people who haven't had that much rugby yet but but it, it comes down to the physio room back row um you'd expect Moriarty to sit this one out Navidi had just under an hour in, in against England in the second game um given that he seems to be the next cab off the rank in terms of number eight cover I'd probably expect to see him start at eight get more game time Tipperick hopefully fit at seven obviously we don't know what the situation is with James Davis in terms of how long he's going to be back Wainwright's played a lot so I'd, I would expect Shingler to start at yeah. six hmm. Navidi at eight and then it really depends I think on where the things lie with Tipperick and James Davis's fitness um like, I think I'd probably sense that Tipper could maybe start at seven. So that's, think, yeah. that'd be the pack, yeah. I think I think Shingler needs to start, doesn't he? Uh, just just to sort of continue shaking off that rust that we've sort of seen in the first two games. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, more for the fact as well. I guess Wainwright will need will need a, a bit rest. of a breather. Um, picked up, I think he had. A, was he one of the dead legs? Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, one of the dead legs last week. I mean, that should be should be cleared up by next Saturday but yeah probably best to give him a, a bit of a breather and, and yeah throw Shingler in you know he's a bit nervy wasn't he at Twickenham but sort of bit, bit of his old self again in Cardiff so you know he seems to be on the right path and you know more minutes perhaps from the start probably be a good thing for him absolutely um, I think Jared Evans will start by the way okay I okay. just think if you look at it if he wasn't the next cab of the rank of a 10 why was Patchell not on the bench against England? I just think he seems to be the one that they are was further down the road now. And I th- possibly, if they look at it, they had a nice balance in the Six Nations with quite a tack-minded Anscombe being balanced by Bigger's ability to see the ship home, navigate the ship. Mm. In many ways, you could look at it and say Bigger's um, control... I wouldn't use the word conservatism, but, you know, game management style, pragmatic. And then Jared Evans, who is a bit of a force of nature when he runs with that ball in his hand. I think that's quite a nice combination. And I I think you do make a good point. We're we're not really sure in our minds how they view Rhys Patchell. Rhys, a year ago, came out for the tour as well as his number one fly half. He's a wretched luck another concussion issue to follow the one he had earlier in his career knocked him back fell out of favour a bit with the Scarlets maybe over defensive issues unsurprising that maybe your defence is slightly off a little bit after you're coming back from that so yeah. where does he where is he perceived by the Welsh management now mm. um, so I I, I kind of think Jared will start with Patchell on the bench but yeah it's interesting yeah it is an interesting one Absolutely, and we'll move on to a question about Jared Evans, and that comes from Paul Evans on Facebook. And the question is, if Jared Evans sets the Welsh backline alight during either of the final two warm games, will Warren Gatland consider starting him against Georgia? No. No. <laughs> no. Come on. I mean, I, no. I think Bigger will start the first World Cup game, whatever happens. The thing is, with Jared, I mean, um, you, you kind of know what you're going to get, because... You know, kicking, tactical kicking, is not a huge part of his game. No. It was the kind of one weakness which made me always question whether he would really kick on. I've seen him since he was in the under twenties. Lovely, lovely ball handler. I think one of the best running fly halves in European rugby. He's had to work on his kicking game, and he has worked on it to an extent. Now it's manageable, and 
you know, he, he can sort of do the basics quite pretty well in this kicking now, and he really worked at it. But essentially, kicking is somewhere down the priority list when it comes to his style of play. You know, on on his day, with ball in hand, he can trouble any defence. Still, occasionally, will have a mistake in his locker, but he's a young man. He's an exciting player, very exciting player. And I would love to see him, you know, come through against Ireland and show what he can do. And I would love Gatland to say to him, just go out and play your game. Mm. Because I think that's what you bring the best. In fairness to John Melville and to Danny um, Wilson before that, they've done that at Cardiff. They said, those are your strengths. Take the opposition on. And there were times at last season when the Blues were on the, their run towards winning in the European trophy. Teams couldn't live with him. And what was interesting as well is that when he played, I think it was in the knockout game against Edinburgh, the previous week yeah, he'd played in the Pro 14 or maybe in the previous round in Europe and he'd run, a, he'd run the opposition ragged with his ball in hand playing. And it was interesting to me, it was the moment I realised, well, he is developing because he actually did employ more of a tactical kicking game and it was accomplished, which shows how much he's worked today. And that was the moment I started to think, ah, oh, he's becoming a more rounded player. His ultimate strength is his running with ball in hand, but he's given now a more rounded nature to him, which makes the, means that teams can't exactly know what he's going to yeah. do. He's an attacking threat, but he's young mm. and he's inexperienced, and it's a World Cup. So uh, let's see what he's made of. Yeah, I guess the, everything Simon's alluded to is obviously on the money, but it's 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 always at European level is the highest, isn't it? You know, we don't know if that can transfer into international arena, and I I don't think two Test matches gives you that much stock. Like it doesn't prove that you're a consistent performer at international level. It's all he's got. I yeah. accept that, but it. I think you could have a storm in the next two matches and Dan Bigger would still start against Georgia just because you know what he can do. But Jared Evans, not so much at this level. You know, when defences are a bit better, you get less time on the ball, you get less time to think about things and what you've got to do. And yeah, it's, you know, it, all, all the all the signs are promising, but it's I just want to see a bit more, that's all, at the top level, you know. Again, on the plane's the priority for Jared. Mm, that would be the achievement. Yeah. yeah. Well... Talking about sort of Jared Evans and his attack and play, we got a couple of questions here about Wales's attack. Um, pretty lengthy questions, so I'll, I'll try my best to get through these. Uh, so, Kevin Thomas on Facebook, what is the issue with Wales's attack? So many times on Saturday they went extremely deep, passing way behind the gain line, and it took them at least five or six phases to maybe even get over the gain line, or maybe not even at all. What do they need to offer something different here? Is it the players, or could they adapt or adopt a different system or gameplay uh, as some, and Ian Price pretty much on Facebook sort of echoes that saying he's also concerned with the attack saying that England looked more dangerous when they had ball in hand uh, compared to us well there's been a lot of, a lot of talk about Wales' attack hasn't there and you know the, the first thing to, to note is that they are creating chances you know, there's there's been a number of times certainly at Twickenham they were more obvious they, yeah. they made three or four chances that that they should have finished and perhaps when they were more match sort of ready they would have finished um, against England those chances were less obvious but I think what they did well and it allude you know to touch on the, the thing about the deep passing is you know England were, were flying up with Jonathan Joseph and if they could get outside him then there was a lot of room 
So, I mean, the deep passing thing and passing behind players and dummy runners and things like that, that's all to try and isolate Jonathan Joseph and, and hopefully try and get the likes of um, Lee Halfpenny and George North and Josh Adams in a bit of space in that 15-metre channel. Um, it's not... You know, sometimes I feel like we we look at maybe New Zealand's capabilities and, and how they can cut sides to ribbons and, you know, it, it doesn't always work like that. And, no. you know, they, Wales are not the All Blacks and, and you know, they don't pretend, perhaps play with that sort of thing. And I think England's game can look more imposing because when they get the power runners over the game line, they, they generate momentum quite quickly. But, you know, I'm not overly... There seems to be a lot of concern out there about Wales' attack, and I'm not particularly worried about it myself just yet. Yeah, I was, I was a big defender of it during the Six Nations because I thought it was really efficient. What I would say about the All Blacks is, you compared to the All Blacks, where the All Blacks are getting most of their tries now is not really with attacking ball, it's with turnover ball. You know, that's, that's where a lot of tries are coming in test rugby, and that's something that I think Wales actually look pretty good on, is 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 how they attack from turnovers. Didn't see it much on Saturday, but the one time we did see it, they, I think it was a, quick, a turnover. Wales worked it quickly, sort of spread England apart, and then the result of that was Anthony Watson having to fly out of a three-on-one overlap and giving away a, a deliberate knock on a yellow card, yeah. which the try came from. So, yeah. you know, maybe teams do occasionally look, start to look a bit sort of tenuous going through phases but that's the nature of international rugby and defence rules but we saw in the Six Nations that Wales are quite happy to go through 25 phases and make marginal gains so I don't think I don't think there's too much to be concerned about let me tell you now let me tell you now I watched Scotland on the weekend right Gregor Towns in Scotland have three priorities when they take the rugby field they are attack attack and attack right and they have averaged conceding four tries a game this year and they were pretty much ripped apart by France at the weekend. All-out attack as a policy is lovely to watch, but World Cups more than anything are decided and dictated by the side that's most efficient defensively. I bored you earlier with the fact that when Australia won the World Cup in 1999, when Wales hosted the tournament, they only conceded one try in the entire tournament. Juan Grobler, USA centre in Limerick, you can have that one for your facts. One try conceded. Big, big, big tournaments, Grand Slams, Six Nations, World Cups, Rugby Championships, defence is absolutely key. And that's your foundation stone. If you look at Wales against England in the first game, it wasn't what we'd expect from Wales defensively. You look at the weekend, the rematch, much better. Line speed, physical aggression, determination. You get that right, you're going to compete. And the question then is, on top of that, how efficient can you be in what tend to be relatively limited attacking opportunities? Mm. Now, Wales didn't bomb any on Saturday, really. They didn't actually have that many, if you think back to it. You you spot on what you say in terms of the one time they were at their most threatening was when they ran from about 25 yards from their line off a ball that they put through the hands quite quickly. What I liked was that they recognised the opportunity was on got it out quickly, came to Parks. He got it out quickly, under pressure, got a yellow card because as much as anything with three men over. Now, if he had gone out three men over with George North being one of them, that would have been a try, I think. Hmm. So that was efficient. Um, Where they were also more efficient on Saturday was with the kind of play that brought them success in Six Nations. When they were at their best, it was when there was the pick and go. They don't have... We don't have a Billy Vunapola, right? No. 
And if you've got if you've got a Vunipola, it helps because it means you're going to get get over the gain line repeatedly. England are a different team when he's on song. We don't have that kind of player. We're not a huge nation, right? Physically. Um, so when we've been at our best this year, it's been the collective pick and go and the sustained pressure. Gatlin, throughout his time with Wales and probably throughout his coaching career, a lot of it has been about sustained pressure. Pummel, 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 and that then creates chances. For a large period in the early years with Wales, that meant pummel, 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 create a, uh, a mismatch with Shane Williams, right? Then he went through a period, pummel, 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 out, big man, crash through, George North, Jonathan Davis, Cuthbert, in a bit of space, take on one and one, difficult to stop, right? It's been pretty systematic, yeah. you know? Wales are not uh, the Harlem Globetrotters, right? But they have been pretty efficient, efficient in it. I don't think you could repoint to that last last weekend and said the attack was, um, you know, ineffectual. What you do probably acknowledge is that with Daniel Bigger at 10, you are going to play more of an aerial game. Mm. That is a strength of his over his career. Um, early doors against England the weekend, you saw a couple of bombs put up, maybe slightly overcooked them, but generally his kicking game through his career has been excellent. So you're going to see more kick chase. And one of Wales' great strengths in the weekend was Dan ch- chasing his own ball. So our attack is not going to be sort of, you know, fantastic, uh, th- you know, flowing movements throughout the game but I don't particularly care if it ends up with us having more points in the opposition and the way Wales are set up at the moment I mean you concede few few points when you're going well in defence and you make the most of the opportunity you've got and if that means you win rugby matches great there we go absolutely that's a good place to leave that question so what, let's get another question uh, from the WhatsApp uh, keep on coming, son. Keep on coming. Here we go. Hi, my name's Steve and I'm from Mountain Ash. My question is all our number nines, scrum halves, seem to kick away possession all the time. There's so much talent in that back line. I think we could have more of a running game. Especially when they're kicking it away, they're just losing possession. They're giving possession away. They did against England. And I just think it's a waste. I'd like to know your thoughts. Well, there you go. That's that's, that's what Steve thinks. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, and, and kind of kind of straddling two points here, aren't we, with the last one as well? I mean, the, the kicking game is has always been quite prevalent with Wales, and at times it gets held against them when it's not warranted. But you know, they did kick a lot on the weekend, and box kicking in particular. Um, I'm, I'm not concerned about the amount of box kicking, it's the but execution. But you know. Personally, I think Gareth Davis gets a bad rap across the board, but his kicking remains a, a, a bit of a concern. And um, yeah, it's just the quality of it. Sometimes, look, like we said, Wales, you, you can't you can't just fling the ball out wide and hope for the best every time. You know, there there is plenty of room in the professional game for pragmatism, and and you don't need to look much further than Wales to to discover that. And you know, they put a box kick up. Uh, on Saturday Gareth Davis and Dan Bigger reclaimed it just on the edge of England's 22 suddenly Wales are in good field position and England are backtracking so they build from it you know so I'm not overly concerned with the amount of kicking that goes on uh, I don't I think they they're far more open to, to running the ball than they were three or four years ago um, particularly well about three years ago 
So I don't I'm not I'm not overly concerned with, with any box kicking going on. It's just the as long as it's on the money. As former Cross Keys Athletic number nine Andrew Howell will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why Scrum Half's box kick, and that's because the alternative is less appealing. It tends to be when you have slow ball and if the ball goes out, there's a very good chance that you will end up further back than when you started. Yeah. It goes back to this thing we don't have enormous ball carriers. England are in a bit of trouble. They can give the ball to Vunapoli. He's going to make you five yards even if it's slow ball. We are tend to have ball under pressure at scrum at the moment. And ball at the base. And I, people, I know people hate it. They, that classic thing is, you know, it works its way slowly back. Mm-hmm. The scrum half puts his foot on the ball. He looks up. He picks it up. He kicks it. Away we go. Uh, yeah. But there's a reason. It's because you're under a bit of pressure generally with slow ball. A, a box kick is only as good as the chase, and it's only as good as the precision of the box kick itself. If those two things are done well, it can be a useful asset. Now, do Wales box kick well? That's probably the better question, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. It's probably, you know, growing up, well, Gareth Davis is is just like a complete force of nature with a rugby ball. You know, he's someone who can score tries, as he showed against England, that very few other players in world rugby can do. When he came through the Scarlet, he was initially very much as an impact player, just someone who would run with the ball, spot a gap, gone quick, powerful, you know, elements of, of um, Telly, Telly Holmes, elements of, of Mike Phillips. Box kicking, as with Jared, where I talked about, you know, the kicking was not his go-to thing. I would imagine growing up, the box kick was not what Gareth Davis was, you know, focusing on because he's got such running strength and he's such a yeah. physical player. Now he's worked at it, worked at it. And then, you know, could we do better on the box kick? Probably, but um, I don't think you can, as Matt said, I don't think the rugby these days is as simple as give it to Shane, you know, like, <laughs> like throw it out wide. It's not. There are times when it's right to put the ball through the hand and there are times when it's right to put it to the air. The question for me is, are we putting it to the air efficiently enough? And that's the thing we've got to probably slightly improve. Yeah, Wales Wales will not play in, in any area of the field. They're not comfortable. If, if they're in their own half, anywhere inside their own half or even around the halfway line and, and the ball is slow and the runners aren't in the right area, England or whoever have been on top in the last two tackles, they've been dominant tackles. And the ball's going up. You know, they're not going to risk giving away a penalty anywhere around or in their own half. So, Whereas with the try we talked about, it was time to go. Yeah. Because the England defence was slightly disorganised. It was quick turnover ball. Ball popped out, looked out, scan. And that's when you've got to make the right call. It's not, sometimes it's not always the scrum half, even, was it? You no, know, it's, no, it's not. The ball can be there and it's scanned. Get it out quickly. So it's choosing the time to put the ball through the hand and choosing the time to kick and choosing the time to break. And that's what the challenge of international rugby is, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so what, let's get another question um, from the WhatsApp. I think this one has to do with fitness. So I think, Matt, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy this one. <laughs> I'll sit this one out then. Hi, Ned from Gran Canaria. Does the panel consider that the training in Switzerland... With uh, where it was 26 degrees, and now in Turkey where it's 29, is beneficial to the players. As when they came back to play the first England game, they seemed positively lethargic. And um, would you not consider it better to play at home 
where the temperature will be the same as it will be when they play their first game in Japan on the 23rd of September. Are any of our listeners actually in Wales? <laughs> What's going on here? Everyone's having a great time this <laughs> summer, aren't they? I mean, come on. Um, yeah, Switzerland. Uh, everyone goes on about this sort of lethargic nature to Wales's performance at Twickenham. We had we had a lot of that after the match. Like it's, it's not something I really saw. It was rust, but I didn't. I, I never saw, thought. I never I saw, thought anyone was blowing. I saw plenty of rust, but I didn't see many players looking particularly leggy. Um, but I mean, to touch on the points raised. Um, just to clear up, Turkey is is actually far hotter than than the twenty nine degrees. Is up to forty degrees out in Turkey at the moment. I think George North put something on Instagram at half past eight this morning, and it was already thirty nine. So they, that is hot. It's humid. Um, in terms of Japan, I think they're expecting uh, perhaps not particularly hot. It's well, it's going to be warm, uh, but very humid. Uh, one uh, person described it to me as it's going to be like playing in the rain. Because the ball is going to be slippery, your hands are going to be full of sweat, um, and basically they they're doing what they did four years ago, and they deem which they deemed a success. So they went to Switzerland four years ago, and they went to Doha four years ago, and that's been obviously replaced with Turkey. So they they see value in what they're doing, and they've obviously seen good results um, in the past. So that's what they're doing again, and you know Wales would argue they were one of the fittest teams at the 2015 World Cup, certainly at the 2011 World Cup. So when it comes to when it comes to fitness and, and the preparations, let's face facts, even if they did look lethargic at Twickenham, which, as I said, I didn't see, it's all about peaking uh, on September the 23rd. It's not necessarily about peaking now. You know, these whilst we get wrapped up in these games and the importance of them, they are essentially building blocks. Yeah. And... I think we're perhaps, you know, us to a certain degree, and certainly fans sometimes can get um, caught up in in the emotion of things. But I think Warren Gatland's very pragmatic; is, is sees these games for what they are, um, and they're building blocks. And you know, I, I think I certainly don't have an issue with the way they've prepared so far. I thought they looked pretty fit on Saturday. If you think about it, England got it back to ten six with maybe 20, 25 minutes to go. And I thought Wales found another gear then. Yeah. They worked themselves into two positions, created two penalty chances, one of which Lee Halfpenny put over. And come the end of the game, when they needed one final surge to repel the final England mall, there was a huge like amount of energy in that uh, counter-drive with um, Shingler and Navidi to the fore. Um, so now I've got no issues and no concerns about the fitness levels at all. I think we will be one of the fittest teams of the World Cup. That's not the area we need to look at. Absolutely. Just uh, quickly, one more fitness question for you, Matthew. Okay. This is the Matthew Southcombe Fitness Hour. Uh, this is Pete on Twitter. When it comes to fitness levels, how does the current squad compare with pre- previous squads, and has there been a different focus this year? And how has fitness techniques evolved? Uh, to be honest, to four years ago, not a great deal. I suppose if you go back eight years, then the preparations for 2011 were different. Um, Adam Beard was in charge of the physical conditioning then, and Paul Stridgen is now. They sort of hit that transition in four years ago um, out in Switzerland they were doing a lot of very similar things to what they did four years ago however what was noticeable was that um, when we were out there uh, they, they were doing far more rugby training as we as I've alluded to in the past you know they were doing a lot of work with the ball a lot of work on their shape a lot of tactical work as well and the reason for that is that Paul Stridgen tells us that the players arrived in camp this time fitter than they finished the camp four years ago 
So in terms of how fit they are compared to then, the answer is much fitter, I would suggest. Um, but then again, so is everybody else. You know, the game evolves. As, as, as we know, players are getting more powerful and, and fitter and stronger and faster by the day. So Wales are, you know, fitness-wise, they're in a very good place and they do place a lot of emphasis on their fitness um, because, you know, we talk about them being, you know, Wales's game is largely built around their defence and, you know, to, to make, you know, hundreds of tackles, you know, you need to be fit. So, you know, I think Wales are in a, a good place in that in that aspect and, and I, in terms of how it differs to four years ago, not largely, but they're definitely a fitter group. McGatland himself made the point in his post, you know, end of the... Uh end of camp report from Switzerland in saying that they'd looked at the figures the stats and they were up on four years previously so you can actually quantify it and he has done and he says they're fitter for me fitness isn't the issue with this period the issue for me is injuries that's where that's where the real uncertain element comes in uh, keeping body and not just in terms of like losing players but how do you manage them you know especially the ones who've played now how much training do these guys do? And it's 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 such an art form now, isn't it? Getting to the point that when you come to that game against Georgia, and particularly that game against Australia, that you have got the people that you would love like to see out on the pitch in the right physical shape to do it, both in terms of fitness and injury free. And that is that is now in rugby probably the single most important thing. Yeah, I mean, give you an idea of the fitness. We, we've touched on it, but in case anyone doesn't know, the halfpenny story from Saturday that uh, obviously not named in the 23, so did extra fitness on Friday after the captain's run. Uh, loads of lots of running. Then Saturday morning did a, a leg weight session followed by a, a session on the Watt bike in the altitude chamber. And then half hour, 45 minutes before kickoff, gets told he's going to start and goes on to play 80 minutes. He said after asked him what his legs were feeling like after the game on Saturday, and he sort of gave me a look and no expletives, but I felt like he wanted to to drop when he was um you know he was feeling it. But you know that gives you an idea of how fit these guys are. You know, he, anyone who's been in an altitude chamber or even on a watt bike, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have done such things. It's you know it's pretty punishing. He said he could barely walk after it, and then he's gone and played 80 minutes and acquitted himself fairly well. So. You know, the guys, are, they're, in, um, they're in good physical condition, there's no doubt about that. You can see from the way he struck the last two penalties, you know, we used to see and Lee strike the ball and it keep on rising as it goes over the post, you know, probably another 20 yards in it. It was a really low trajectory. He must have had to put every last bit of power that it wasn't on the Watt bike into those, into those kicks and uh, testament to his professionalism. He came through it and he nailed the kick that really took Wales clear. So, uh, but you never know, do you? This, is, this could happen... In the in Japan, somebody yep. could someone could go uh, go lame in the warm up, and it, it's who have you got standing there? You look around, who's going to play now? Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's one of the imponderables, isn't it? Yeah, I'd be surprised if Wales are let making their non match day twenty three players do what bike sessions on the morning of games in Japan. Yeah. Mind, I will add that, but they have been doing this for a while as well. All thirty one players out on the pitch warming up, which is what they'll do in Japan. All thirty one players will warm up in case of you know scenarios like this so they are ready for these situations absolutely let's get another question from the whatsapp and it's about the back row hi there my name is phil jones i live in london Uh, my question to you is with all players all current players fit and available who would be your first choice back row six seven eight it's something we've talked about i mean i did an article on it for um 
for online today. And um, I think the first thing to say is that um, Saturday has probably clarified who will be going to Japan in terms of the back row unit. I think yeah. I think our assumption is going to be, if we look at the mix of the squad, that you're probably going to have four second rows and five back rows, um, probably with Corey Hill and Aaron Shingler, two people who are able to sort of multitask their head. So you're, you're five, as it were, back row forwards now. James Davis had his opportunity, very unfortunate. That was his big chance. Took the bang to the back of the head, accidental collision. Had to come off for 23 minutes. You'd think he's probably going to struggle to try and force his way in now. So you're looking at the five. Um, Wainwright, Aaron Wainwright, Shingler, Navidi, Tipperick and Moriarty. Mm-hmm. So that's that sorted. But now comes the tricky bit, doesn't it? Because <laughs> you can only three fit three people in. When I sat down and looked at it, you've got... A situation where you're number six, come the come the big first choice selection, maybe the Australia game. Your six could be Navidi, Wainwright, Moriarty, or Shingler. Your seven could be Navidi, Wainwright, or Tipperick. Your eight could be Navidi, Moriarty, or even Wainwright. And any of that combination and any of that permutation, you'd feel pretty comfortable with. Yeah. So he has to decide what he's going to do. Um, I think the impact that Josh Navidi made when he came on, um, on the back of what he did in Six Nations, and you can see he hadn't played for five months, the impact he made was enormous. And in an area that Wales needed to improve, I saw a stat at the weekend that um, in the England game at Twickenham, England won 76 at the 77 rucks, which to me suggested that we weren't particularly efficient at spoiling their ball. One of the big reasons why England won, Wales won the rematch was that they impacted on uh, England's ball at the breakdown, slowed it down, spoiled it, made them much less efficient. Get quick ball to Billy Vunapolo in the backs, they're dangerous. We, did, we made it hard for them to do that. From the moment he came on in that game, Navidi was a pest, right? Within two and a half minutes I made out of coming on, he'd, he'd won a, a line out, he'd won a penalty over the ball. You know, going back to his old ways as number seven, you know. And then within probably eight, nine minutes of coming on, he played what was perhaps an unnoticed at the time, but crucial part in, in the solitary try of the match. If we remember Dan Bigger put the cross kick over, uh, good feet from Josh Adams, offload to Jonathan Davis. It was then all about quick ball because England were down to 13 men because Watson was in the bin, Willie Hines was off injured, they hadn't got the replacement on. Here was your opportunity. Quick ball was essential. And who was the man who, having just returned to international rugby, to any kind of rugby, had busted a gut 60 metres, absolutely determined to be first the ball, Navidi. Not only was he first the ball, but he took two men and drove them back about five yards and cleared them out. That was the moment to me, especially with that, and the final maul, where he was absolutely crucial in the counter-drive. The, the man has... Is, is, is a phenomenon in terms of, I don't think I've seen people punch above their way in international rugby like that like him before he was so consistent for years at regional level but the question was always could he did it well he has so he has to be in the starting back row for yeah. me then it becomes really tricky um, so the question was what I would do yeah well, if it was what I would do I would probably start with the back row that did sterling service in the Six Nations and was so important in, in the defensive um, policy and approach and solidity that brought us the Grand Slam. So I would go Tipperick 7, Moriarty 6, and the VD 6, but with an absolute young buck 
waiting on the bench, ready to come in and do a job for any of those three. But I tell you what, it's a close call. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we don't need to. Simon's covered it pretty perfectly there, and we don't really need to go into much more. And I would agree with that. That's probably the way to go with Moriarty eight, uh, Tipperick seven, Navidi at six. Um, I always thought that Wainwright was probably pushing it a little bit, um, but you know, the way he's performed in in his last few chances has really given everyone food for thought. Really, and Shingler is somebody else who, absolutely. you know, how he goes in the next few matches, whether. It, if he can pr- return to his former former form, then you know it's going to be a difficult one to to call. I mean, it's fortunate, you know, the, the the back row five has been simplified greatly in the last twelve months for Gatlin because I remember sitting in a hotel in Argentina twelve months ago, speaking to Martin Williams about the back row, and we we sort of both looked at each other and thought, well, how on earth do you pick five back rowers? Because at the time they were, we seemed to have particularly open sides coming from everywhere. Um, you know the the five now has been nailed on probably I would say for a week or you know at least a week or so since the Falatau injury really, and um, yeah I'd agree with Simon in the this the starting back row that he's picked there. But if you were to go for Wainwright, mm. probably it's well you could play anywhere. If you yeah. were to go to Wainwright, who's most vulnerable? How much rugby is Navidi played at number eight for, um, for Wales? Well, yeah, but I'm less concerned about that because. Yeah, go on. Josh, I would say over the last three years, has probably played eight and six more than seven. Yeah. Nick Williams has tended to play, when fit, always play at eight. Mm. And they've used Ellis Jenkins and Ollie Robinson at seven. I think he's equally good in all. Th- I mean, the, the the question I suppose which you're alluding to is, is Moriarty. You know, is Josh Navidi maybe? Are you asking is he big enough to play international rugby at number eight at yeah. the very highest level? I mean, people question whether he was good enough to play any position in the back row at there. But I mean, it's a tricky one. I I just wondering who you think might be the one to miss out if they want to go for Wainwright. If you go, I, you go back to 2011 where Faletau just came through in that summer yeah. and ended up starting and scoring a try in the first game against South Africa. There are echoes of that with yep. Wainwright to me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So how do you, if you're going to fit him in, who misses out? Well, I, I'd like to see how Navidi goes again because like I said, we've, we've not seen a lot of him since he did his elbow in March. But uh, Moriarty has been f- fairly quiet by his standards. Yeah. In in the in these first two games, we don't know how much rust is associated with him. But I guess you know if if Navidi backs up this performance again, I think that Moriarty might find himself staring down the barrel a little bit. And um, you know, it's just whether or not Gatlin's confident enough in Navidi playing at number eight at, at that level. Yeah, you don't see it as being an option of going Wainwright six, Moriarty eight, Navidi seven. I think it's a big call to drop Justin Tipperick. I think he's um, proven at this level time and again. Uh, granted, probably a, a tad quiet at times over the last two games, but you know, I think you afford players that sort of benefit of the doubt at this point in time. And I, I, I ask in relation to the, those rook figures that I mentioned from the from the Twickenham yeah, game. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that Tipperick has been excellent when paired with Navidi. Because the VD's ability to slot in as a man over the ball when required, because his seven is in his DNA pool, I think that works really well 
with Tipperick alongside it because it means that Tipperick doesn't have to be virtually the one go-to fetcher man. Right? Yeah. I think it works well. And if you look at the England game where you had Wainwright at six and Moriarty and then Tipperick, it was a lot of focus on tips to be the man over the ball. And I think he's at his very best when he's showing his huge range of talents. And I think when you've got Navidi doing loads of the nitty-gritty work over the ball, clearing out, smashing into people at the breakdown, smashing into defenders, I think that works really well for tips. Yeah. So I think if you if Tipperick plays, you have to have Navidi with him to, for the best combination. So I think those two start. So it does maybe come back to the whole thing. Could you even play Wainwright to number eight? Something they might look at, but it's a bit it's just be, notice, it, The boy it? is making such an impact. And let's not forget the role he played at the line-out. line-out yeah. Because if we're saying that the man we haven't mentioned is realistically starting is Shingler, who was very much Wales's back row go-to man at the line-out. Now, that, you, Tipperick has been used at the line-out, but you know, it was a revelation what Wainwright was doing at the line-out. I think it was something like seven of the first nine line-outs and Wales won in the game, including one steal off Otojo from Wainwright, jumping at the front. Hugely efficient. And the line-out has been, you know, at times an issue. So he's he's posing lots of questions, that boy. He really is. Um, do a few sort of quick-fire questions to finish, because we're on the home straight. Um, so from Michael Phillips on Facebook, how tough a fixture is... Well, the Michael Phillips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Where's Michael Phillips from? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how tough a fixture <clears throat> is Fiji? Very. Um, never to be underestimated, Fiji. Uh, dangerous on any given day. They can go into the tournament playing terribly and I would still be worried about that match. There we go. Uh, Martin on Twitter. This is one that you spotted yesterday, Simon. Why can't Wales drop goals? It wins World Cups. Well, I was watching footage of the very first Wales World Cup match, which I'm old enough to have uh, got up in the morning to watch. Wales against Ireland in New Zealand in 1987 Ringo scored a try very lovely try for Wales um, and the game was sealed by two Jonathan Davis drop goals you know a man who knew how to drop a goal it's interesting isn't it they, they, they go in and out of fashions drop goals do probably the period in my life watching rugby when they've been most in fashion was actually during a World Cup the 19, I think it was 1999 or 85, where Yanni De Beer. Uh, 95. 95. 95, yeah. No, that'd be, right. was it 95 or 99 anyway? Well, 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 if you go to 95, the oh, World just, Cup... Just, just yeah, the, like, oh, the World Cup oh, final yeah, Yanni, was... Yanni De Beer was 99. that's yeah, also, yeah. yeah. If you look at it, you've had two World Cup finals, which have been decided by drop goals. Joel Stransky for South Africa in 1995. Johnny Wilkinson left with his wrong foot for England in 2003. And in between 1999, you had Yanni De Beer who was kicking them left, right and centre. So that would suggest to me that if a drop goal ever comes into fashion, it's at the World Cup where you have tournament rugby where it's very tight. But you don't see many of them. The last big one on the international stage was probably Johnny Sexton for Ireland against France, which was fairly important because that was the first game of the championship. Their Grand Slam could have ended at day one. He, he he knocked the ball over. They win the Grand Slam. Um, and Dan Bigger is quite adept at the drop goal. So, uh, yeah, it's not rule it out coming into fashion, but it's certainly been a rarity over the last few years. Okay, here's the last of our WhatsApp questions, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this one. Hello, my name's Gideon from the Ronda. Great result on Saturday, but if New Zealand are next up, would we beat them? Thanks all. Oh yeah, cheers for that one, mate. Yeah, thanks, one. 
Um, Here we go. Put your neck on the line, boys. No, no, I don't think so. Let me tell you a story. Yes, a short story. It'll be (laughs) yesterday evening. I had a call. uh, Asked me to go on uh, Talk Sport New Zealand, which I did. So I was on there afternoon. It was interesting, you know, the the questions you're receiving from from the New Zealand region. You know, it's great to go on there because they they give hour after hour to rugby and they let you talk and talk and talk. You know. And that was pretty much their question, you know, can Wales win the World Cup, which in their head meant can they beat New Zealand, (laughs) you know, um, it it, it was fascinating to hear the real respect in New Zealand for Welsh rugby now and what's been achieved. I went on there half expecting them to be quibbling about the fact that we were, it wasn't, you know, we were number one, it wasn't that, it was like, you know, and it was interesting, it was wanted to know in detail what's the situation with the fly half, you know, so clearly to me I came away from that thinking you know we're rated we are mm. rated by the best rugby nation in the world and I did point out to them you know we may not have beaten them since 1953 but we are actually ahead of them in rugby for the first time I <laughs> don't know how well that went down but um, but they asked me within that how do you think Wales were going against New Zealand and I said to be brutally honest if we played New Zealand next week most Welsh people would still expect Wales to lose. But most Welsh people now, I think, would also expect Wales to be competitive, Mm. really competitive. New Zealand, you know, um, they are not the absolute invincible force they were. As has been proven, they've lost to South Africa, lost to Australia, also can play some fantastic rugby. Yeah, so I think if Wales played New Zealand, I'd expect New Zealand to win because they generally do against us over a long period of time. But we'd give it a real go. We would give it an absolute go. And the key against New Zealand is defence, and that's one of our strengths. So do you know what? I'd love to find out in a World Cup final. Yeah, that, would be nice. I, that would be an interesting. They have two more weeks, then, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's already chaos booking all that, but we shan't go down that route. Um, all I would say on that is Wales for so long uh, struggled against Southern Hemisphere nations. Historically, Wales are still, you know, very much second best in those games. You know, we had the the decade worth of Australian victories that was then broken and we you know, South Africa had the 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 job on us as well until recently and they've won the last four games against South Africa. So what this current Wales side are proving and as Simon touched on, we haven't beaten New Zealand in so long. But what this current Wales side are proving is that they are changing history. Yeah. You know, they changed history against Australia. We weren't supposed to beat South Africa until we did start beating them again. And you know the the one final unanswered question really is the All Blacks and but you know this current group of players are, are finding it easy well not easy but they they're going about their business and and sort of changing what the historical perception of them is and you know they can now beat these Southern Hemisphere sides they can beat Australia so you know the, the All Blacks is is the final question really literally well it's not the final question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and this is a question that should be a bit of fun, but I don't know how you'll appreciate it, having to think on your feet. And this is one from Tom Reeves on Twitter, and it's choose a Wales 15 that is not in the World Cup squad. Oh, what do you mean people who aren't in the training squad? Yeah, people who aren't. So Thomas Young. Yeah, well, um, we'll start with the back. I'll go the back. Scrubs off in go. France. Can that include people? Can that include <laughs> people? I presume that can include people who are injured. It'll have to be for numbers wise, won't yeah. it? Well, your back row is Thomas Young, uh, Ellis Jenkins, and Falato. Second row. Second row. Who have we got? For some reason, it's only because you've interviewed him recently. <laughs> Dominic Day is the first one that pops into my head. Great guy, playing good rugby. Um, Josh Turnbull. Turnbull, yes, yeah. Good job in the really second row. Um, hooking situation: Richard Hibbard. 
Herbs. You can go there. DC. Um, yeah. DC, or yeah. DC we yeah. do a decent job. Um, props, a bit light on the ground and props, probably, aren't we? Um, Very light on the ground. Rescale that could play at loose head. And then if you're looking for a tight head coming through. Roger Jones. Roger Jones. Roger, Roger yes. I think, moved back more to move loose back head. Back before, yeah. That's um, another one I'm interviewing, actually. A little plug. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another... Oh, can Adam still put his boots on? <laughs> For the purpose of this question, yeah. Get him, yes, get him on the phone, yeah. Scrum off. Scrum off. Scrum off. Um, there's, eight, there's a bloke plays out in France, I believe. He's all right. He's yeah. not the worst. He's relatively unknown, I think. <laughs> We've mentioned him once or twice, Mr. Reese Webb. And then Sam Davis, number 10. I was going to go pre-slum, but yeah. Sam Davis is a good shot. It's, it's probably um, a fairer shout, I would say, yeah. Yeah, I'd probably go pre-slum. Centres is interesting. Um, Corey Allen. Yeah. One played After a fair me. bit of international rugby. Scored a hat trick at the last World Cup. Tyler yeah, against also Uruguay. played in a quarter final. Jack Dixon. Jack Dixon, yeah. Um and then full back and wings, Alex Cuthbert on the one wing. Yeah. Um my mate Tom James on the other. I love Tom. Tom James. Got a new contract now with a scarlet. Full back. Full back. There's only Matthew Morgan. Matthew I Morgan. Dan, I was going to say Dan Evans. Oh, Dan. <laughs> oh, Dan Evans. See, even, even when it comes to the team, if people are left out, we still can't fit Dan Evans in. What's <laughs> oh, oh, there? Yeah. We go. So that's it for your questions uh, podcast. Hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to them being answered, and make sure you get them in for the next podcast. We'll be recording one some point later in the week we're not quite sure on the date of that yet but that should be coming later in the week but if you have enjoyed the podcast give it a like give it a subscribe give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to it but until then you can catch all the latest news on Wales Online <laughs>